0: Welcome to the Lazy People Podcast. the podcast about all things technology and people and technology in Belgium. Of course, from outside of Belgium. My name is Errol Baikal and I'm here with my co-host, Metzian. Hey, uh, welcome to another episode. With us today is Maura de Klerk. Now, um, Maura will be... Uh, explaining to us uh, the situation of empowering women in tech. But before I get into that, uh, I want to take a minute to talk about uh, Maura herself, because you are pretty difficult to introduce, Maura. So you uh, you have an LLM, uh, so you, you're a, a Belgian mergers and acquisitions lawyer, mm-hmm. but then you turn into an entrepreneur. Um, you're in fashion, um, but you also are a founding and uh, a founding partner if i'm correct of, of an exec- executive search agency uh, helping all over europe that's a lot
1: <laughs> it is i'm not all of these things at the same time though so don't, don't worry <laughs> so oh, okay. first of all thank you so much for having me uh, it's uh, it's really nice uh, to to be here with you Um, So, yeah, short introduction to myself, Um, I am Mauda, currently I am the founder and managing partner at Staff Europe Recruitment and Consulting. Um, Staff is an international boutique search and selection agency, and we specialize in executive search and the search of senior tech profiles within the European STEM industries. So what we do is we help companies grow uh, Europe-wide. Now, as you mentioned before that, um, I did do, uh, I had some pivoting in my career. Um, So let me give you a bit of context around that. Um, Now, the international aspect uh, is something you will always find throughout my life and career. Um, So I was born in Romania. Uh, I was raised in Belgium, uh, where I lived most of my life. And then the last seven years, I... I moved away from Belgium. Um, I first moved to Hamburg, Germany and that experience was really, really horizon broadening uh, in the sense that I had a great time there, learned, I think, uh, the most things ever in my life um, and it has changed me a lot as a, as a person. Now, um, What did I learn or what? why is it like that? It's because I perfected my German there. Um, I do speak uh, a couple of languages. I spoke German before, um, but it always helps living in a country to perfect a Mm -hmm. language. Um, Also, I studied fashion there. uh, And then I founded a, a fashion production agency called Style Affair. Um, which for me was something completely different because, as you say, I have this law background and I did work uh, on the life sciences market as a recruiter before that as well. So I came from legal and corporate and I just threw myself into the fashion world. Um, and I think this is the time I probably learned the most in my whole life, you know, setting up the company in a foreign country, um, the language, like I said, but also focusing on a, on a total, totally new market. Um, also, there were the business and cultural aspects that were very different. So it was a massive experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Actually, what I can say, the most uh, context I can give you is my friends call me a polymath. Uh, they have mm-hmm. forced me to put it on my profiles everywhere because they said, otherwise people are going to get so confused with you. And it basically means that I have a ton of very broad interests. I'm a pretty geeky person in the end, and I can deep dive um, pretty far down all of these different rabbit holes. So if you know this oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah, me, yeah. it's not so yeah, it's not so weird that I've done all of this. I think
0: you're you're both a crow and a fox. or a crow and a hedgehog there's this book about Mm -hmm. personalities um where you know they say some people like look like to look at things you know the big picture Then you have people who are like those are the the crows they fly around the garden and you have the hedgehog hedgehogs or hedgehogs or whatever they they look at things like more in detail but you're you know you're you're doing these deep dives or you're you're dive bombing the garden all the time hey (laughs) um yeah, from the things you said immediately, I have a few questions for you. Like the, the big questions, of course, going to be how do you go from mergers and acquisitions into um, tech recruiting? This will all be the question we go into. But and another one is how do you go from mergers and acquisitions into uh, founding a company that uh, does fashion production, which I, even, I don't even know what fashion production is. <laughs> but it sounds something completely different than mergers and acquisitions
1: it is okay so um to start from the beginning um i was always uh, an entrepreneur at heart i come from a, a background of entrepreneurs my whole family uh, are entrepreneurs um and also scientists in the sense that almost everybody in my family they're um, civil engineers so um you know the fact that i chose law was already a bit uh, um, rebellious yeah, yeah i yeah, guess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I, I chose law because I thought it um, it incorporated a lot of, of elements um, and it touched on almost every aspect of society and of life. Um, and, and I thought it was a very broad and very interesting study to start with. Um, but of course, uh, you know, when I was towards the end of my studies, I thought, okay, what should I do? Should I go work for a company, a big law firm maybe? Hmm, I don't know. I I wanted to to be an entrepreneur, and um, I started basically working in, in international uh, M and As before I even uh, finished my studies, which was completely crazy <laughs> if you think about Wait, it. Wait,
0: before you finished your studies, you were involved in international yes. M and As. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also you also need to know that I, I worked during my whole studies. I financed my studies myself. And uh, for me, it was not so weird to, you know, to just work. Uh, I'm also a networker, um, so I had a, a pretty nice network already. And I, I thought, okay, I can I can try this. I can give this a try. So this is how my whole MA adventure started. Um, I did that for a while, um, but, you know, when I was 27, I thought, hmm, okay, maybe I should go and work for a company and see um, if this is also something for me because, um, yeah, this is an experience I, I lacked at that time. So um, I believe a lot in, in synergies and serendipities. And really around the time I was wondering what to do next and, and I, I had seen it a bit in m I thought, hmm, um, you know, some people reached out to me and I had this opportunity to recruit on the on the DACH uh, markets in Europe, so the German-speaking countries for life sciences and you know my geeky side was extremely excited Um, I also almost studied uh, medicine instead of law so I thought oh this is so cool I'm going to uh, get in touch with uh, technology with innovation with uh, science Uh, I was very excited about that so uh, I said yes and um, I, I have tried that adventure as well um but didn't uh, recruit very long um because i very very quickly was drawn again to entrepreneurship so this is when again you know serendipity um i was faced with a life decision moving to to san francisco or moving to hamburg germany um and um hamburg was actually um You know, it was not my first choice, to be honest with you. I was already (laughs)
0: looking. But at least it was in your top two. You know, you had two options. It was still in your top two.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, these are the options I I received at the time. And I mean, not to say that I didn't consider Hamburg at all at the beginning, but um, let me put it uh, this way. I was already looking for apartments and, uh, you know, I was already envisioning my whole life in the States. But then, you know, I found out that very quickly, um, you know, you need to pay like 6,000, $7,000 for like a 30 square meter, uh, flat in a not so safe neighborhood. And a lot of the things were not really aligned. So I thought the most reasonable thing to do would be to move to Hamburg. And this is what I did. Um, but I had no clue what to do there because my contract as a recruiter had expired and, um, yeah again this is one of the first times in my life that I I really didn't have an answer so I thought okay I, I'm I'm going to study something to to perfect my German and I didn't want to do like a language course or something random and I I just chose one of my passions which was fashion and I studied fashion um and this uh, you know one year uh, into my studies I met my my business partner at the university and we founded this uh, this company in fashion. So it was a production agency. Let me tell you what that means, because mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> um, you had a question about that. So what we did is um, we offered creative direction, um, set building for for cinema, for advertising. We did fashion events. Um, we did styling. Um, also for for corporates, uh, but also for for. Um, yeah um private um people mm-hmm. and it was uh like i said before i think this was really the most challenging and most interesting time of my life because it was so out of my comfort zone and mm-hmm. it was um it was a learning curve i mean the german working culture is so very, which part very... was
0: out of your comfort zone because you know mm-hmm. uh fashion is your passion Mm -hmm. you're already like an entrepreneur is the fact that you're in germany like uh, being outside your comfort zone or the 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 sum of all of these things Mm
1: -hmm. it's setting up a company in a foreign country which is uh the first time you know that was the first time i had to do it um i had no clue basically how to go about it um the the language also is you know german is my sixth language so i am Comfortable speaking it, uh, but I—I I mean, I was not a native speaker, and especially business German is pretty high level, pretty accurate, and uh, the Germans are pretty particular about it. So I—I I, I had these doubts: like, am I going to be accepted in this market as a foreigner uh, with this weird accent? Um, And all all of these things, you know, a totally new sector because, yes, I loved fashion, but I had never worked in fashion. I had no clue Mm -hmm. um, how things were done. It's
0: like, you know, I I love eating food, but the hospitality industry is not eating food. It's something completely different.
1: Exactly. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And also the cultural aspect. I mean, uh, Brussels uh, is only 600 kilometers away from Hamburg, but... I had like cultural shocks every day. So it's it's still a very different culture and living in a country is not the same as just working uh, with another country. So it was, it was everything. It's like you say, it was everything coming together and uh, posing a, a huge and very interesting challenge.
0: Uh, maybe that's the most interesting thing. You're like, you're talking about culture shock, Um that's mm-hmm. funny. Like you said, it's only 600 kilometers. Um, but uh, then uh, later you, you left Hamburg. Uh, you, you founded Staff. The mm-hmm. or You were one of the founders of Staff. And currently, I think you're um, not in Hamburg. You live somewhere else.
1: That's correct. Um, so I left Hamburg three years ago because I couldn't take the weather anymore. <laughs> I love uh-huh. Hamburg. Yeah. I love the people. But the weather was really, really hard on me. Uh, And one day I literally woke up and I knew I wanted to move to Madrid. Um, There was just this little issue that I had no clue what to do in Madrid. Um, And again, serendipity. uh, One day I was literally sitting on an airplane. I told you guys I was born in Romania. So Mm -hmm. um, I visit my grandmother every year. And I was um, coming back from Bucharest, uh, flying back to, to Hamburg. And there was this, uh, this gentleman seated next to me and he starts speaking with me. And usually I like, you know, my quiet, um, but he was really interesting. And uh, turned out he was a director of a big ERP company in Germany, looking to staff his, uh, his office, his new office in Bucharest. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I said I could, I could maybe help. Um, so we exchanged politely business cards and then I don't hear from him one month. And one month later, he throws me in a conference call with his board of directors and announces me as the new recruiter for Romania. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> really? I, I can I can imagine this person like, yeah, no, I, I solved that. Like, look, look let, let me bring in Mora. Yeah, yeah, we, we planned <laughs> all of this, and you're like, hello.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you probably was, you jumped
0: in. You like you hit the ground running. Like, yes, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. Right
1: um well I, I i only say i can do this if i can do this and i did have the network could. to do it i could uh, so i i i said yes sure and then i called my tax advisor completely panicked like how do we convert this fashion company into a recruitment company and this is literally how how staff was born it was actually born in hamburg um and then um yeah then we moved uh here to to madrid and uh we are actually we were pioneers because three years ago we started remote working um, from Madrid. Most clients we have are in the Dach area, um, Benelux and uh, Scandinavia. So at the beginning it was very frowned upon like oh, wh- what do you mean you live mm-hmm. in Madrid but you you recruit here um, and now you know when the pandemic started we were actually contacted you had an advantage. You yeah, we didn't have like, to scramble
0: like, to, to get things, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a, the story behind that.
0: Um, it's also like an interesting topic, even something that could be talked about uh, on on another episode, even like, about okay, how did a um, remote company deal with everybody else going remote? Because here the problem was the people you were talking to aren't used to working remote, maybe. But mm-hmm. what I do want to talk to you about more today uh, Maura, is uh, women in tech. And you are now an authority to, to talk about this topic because you recruit uh, for uh, tech companies, not, you know, it doesn't need to be uh, software. When we say tech, Like you said STEM. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, let's switch to that topic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you maybe a blunt question. Okay, so uh, don't be taken aback by it. But why is it important to uh, empower women in tech? Mm-hmm. Like is, is it important and why?
2: No,
1: it's actually a very good question to ask. Um, Okay, so let me give you a bit of context here. The first computer programmer in history was actually a woman. Uh, Her name uh, was Ada Lovelace Byron, and she was the daughter of Lord Byron. Now, more importantly, she was a brilliant woman. She was a genius who wrote the first algorithm to be carried out by, I think it was Babbage's analytical engine. Um, You could call it the first computer, um, so... Everything was started by a woman, Uh, just to give you context. Now, why is this women empowerment in tech important today? It's um, because if you look at the statistics um, about women in IT, they only make up uh, for 17 to 20% of the workforce. That's Really, not a lot. That's a huge gap.
0: In IT, um, you're specifically talking about IT now. not Specifically like STEM in general. Yeah.
1: No, I'm talking specifically about IT because I had data on this. <laughs> so this is something mm-hmm. I can say with uh, certainty. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure this gap is even higher, um, for example, within programmer teams. Um, and also what I know is that 45% of, the, of women in IT quit their first year. So this is the situation, right? So um, we could do a little analysis and, and think about why this is. Uh, I'm just going to you know, brush the surface of this because there's a lot to say. But um, the first thing to look at is education. Uh, there are just less girls enrolling in IT, but also in STEM. I looked at, at broader statistics um, and significantly less women enrolling. So we have to make an analysis. Why is that? Um, and we, we have to look really at the education. I'm going to speak about this a bit later as well, uh, but I just want to um, talk about the other factors as well. So education would be one. Um, then in STEM, within STEM, there is a lot of this bro culture. You know, it's a man's world. Um, these work environments are not always welcoming or even safe or comfortable for for women. So this might be an explanation as well why so many IT women, for example, leave within the first year. Another factor uh, I would say um, are the the barriers to promotion. If if we look at the higher level roles, uh, which is actually the specialty of my company because we recruit uh, senior profiles uh, within the STEM industries, we see that uh, there are less and less um, uh, female executive or, or female senior uh, roles. So we also have to to look at the companies and and they, well, they all have to look a bit um, at their own policies and and make an analysis why this is. I don't think there is one general reason. I think it's very specific for each company. Um, but this assessment absolutely needs to be made made. And the last thing I want to say uh, is around biases. Uh, I mean, biases in itself could be a whole podcast, <laughs> but um, especially young women. Um, and if the young woman also has the disadvantage to be beautiful, um, they are just going to be discriminated against in the market. Uh, this is something I I see and I even heard it a couple of days ago. Um, was not from one of my clients uh, just to be to make that uh, clear but um, it was a discussion online uh, on clubhouse uh, within a, within a, a stem environment
0: yeah clubhouse and, for listeners that might not know is, is like this new social media platform where it's almost like live radio where people have like a chat group but it's uh, you know you have speakers and it's very good audio quality by the way please go ahead so you're in this in this exactly. talk you know in this room with, with yeah. uh, were, Were you one of the speakers, this... or, or somebody was explaining something?
1: No, I'm. I'm, I'm usually one of the speakers, but uh, uh, okay, yeah. but but uh, I had just joined the discussion, and it was a discussion um, around. I think it was a uh, an owner of. Um, I don't remember which type of company. It it was um, deep tech, but I don't remember exactly what they did. It's not relevant anyway. But he he said that, um, and I was really shocked actually to hear it because I had just joined the room. He said. He had to refuse a very talented um, candidate, uh, a woman, because she was very beautiful and he feared that all his guys, because the rest of the team were all guys, would have been so distracted by her beauty that they wouldn't uh, perform properly anymore. So, yeah, I was really, really shocked. But this is what's what's happening every day. That's so it's, really
0: a really weird thing to shocking, say also. Right? like uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, so this this is the last point I made like these biases. Um we have to be really really careful because they are everywhere and we need to implement um within the system we need to implement um solutions to try to counter these biases. So this is a bit in, in short my my overview of the analysis why there is
2: such a huge Okay, gap.
0: can I can I recap it and then you correct me if I got it wrong? So one of the things you said is in IT, like only about seventy percent of the of the people are women, um, and then you say, you know, this this uh, you, it it becomes even a, a smaller percentage as you climb the the uh, organizational ladder. So on the executive level, you might even get lower than seventy percent, and then um, you say one of the root causes you you believe is is the fact that the the inflow from education is pretty low because uh, far fewer women. Um, or girls at that age probably enter the uh the the st- like cuz I think it starts in high school huh? so the the stem mm-hmm. split off it's not university because you said university but for example in Belgium stem split happens actually I think you need to be around 12 when you decide uh whether you go stem or or not might have changed recently because talked mm-hmm. to my some of my cousins like they got a new structure but okay in pretty early on in your in your study career you choose a direction and then you say even when you when you graduate like you you do that the fact that you are a woman or even like you're a beautiful woman could even be used against you because of bias. So there, there's like four points uh, that you put out there, right? That's it. Uh,
1: and also the, so just to state the percentage, it's 17 to 20% of the, of the women uh, in, in IT that make out the word, the workforce um and everything you said is correct and i also mentioned this this man's world this bro culture uh that also plays uh, a role in the in the work environment that, that what i don't understand
0: like the the, mm-hmm. the one that hit me hardest i think mm-hmm. is that 45 percent of women leave within the first year now
1: in it yes yeah mm-hmm. in
0: it leave within the first, yeah. like this is to me like uh the the big question mark because usually IT jobs are coveted, IT jobs pay well Hey, you know, a cynical person might actually say, you get to sit around all day drink coffee <laughs> why would you leave that job why would you leave that job and uh, you think this has something to do with the bro culture or just that uh, you know, maybe they, they, these uh, also like a question, you know fill that up the the 45 that leave are, are they people who just graduated and, and entered their first job or is like we see this pattern even for people who join like their third company
1: um no, i have no data on this so i, I don't want to say anything yeah. um wrong um, these are data that i that i have fi- found and verified uh but i, I can't be more specific um, but the the why because you asked this um, it is due to all these these, um, these aspects that we've mentioned, right? These bro cultures, these barriers to promotion, uh, the biases, and also one that we haven't mentioned, maybe the salary gap, because it's still, uh, you know, I see that daily in my, in my job, women are paid, uh, and this is not only for women in STEM, but women are paid uh, less for the same jobs, basically. So this is, you know, if you combine it with all of these factors, uh, I can understand that uh, that women would want to do something else and reorientate. Uh, I want to talk
0: it. about this pay gap because, mm-hmm. you know, talking about pay in, in Belgium specifically, it's taboo. You don't just go around talking to people like, how much do you make? How much, which it's different in other countries. I know this for a fact in other countries mm-hmm. talk more openly i think also this is my opinion like people not talking openly about their salaries only benefits the the uh, the employer it doesn't benefit the employees at all but this whole taboo around it you know you don't know how much other people are making but nice. you you're in a special position where you can actually see you know the ranges that are being offered because you're in the recruitment like you're you're the recruiter right mm-hmm. and you're saying from where i sit i can actually see this gap, like it's visually it's there
1: it is yeah i mean you could look at statistics i think belgium is not even one of the worst performing countries in europe on the contrary uh but yes i see it in belgium um and i see it in other countries i don't i don't want to stigmatize any countries but you know you can look this this statistics up uh, very easily but in other countries it's even worse Um,
0: what are we talking like 10 percent
1: uh, yeah, don't well. say fifty
0: percent because if you say fifty percent,
1: <laughs> no. Uh... No, it, it, I think it's it's well. I I have I haven't made an, an, a correct statistical analysis of it, but what I see is um, it it's ten percent or less. So, but it, it's between five and ten percent. I would say from what I see for the uh, same day-to-day. job, the same yes. role,
0: the same yes. experience, the same expertise.
1: Absolutely, it's it's shocking, right?
0: um yes because i was always told that the the you know that the wage gap um is more like a, a statistical thing it doesn't like you can't really see it but uh you know now you're sitting here telling me like for the you know for the same role mm-hmm. the, the customer is willing to pay o- only you know 10% you know give a smaller yeah, salary but what happens do mm-hmm. you do you raise this to the to the customer you say like okay um we, we've got the perfect candidate, but sh- mm-hmm. she'll need to get the same uh, pay as as a man. Do you, mm-hmm. do you sometimes raise this issue? And what kind of responses do you get if you should raise it?
1: Well, it needs to be contextualized a bit, right? Uh, women are paid generally, not only in STEM or whatever, but generally they are paid less from the start of their careers. And if you look at how the employment markets work, uh, the the new employer will always look at what was your previous salary package and ideally add on to that, right? So if a woman had a lower uh, salary package to start with, you know, one might argue that okay it's 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 just logical that she she will not be able to double or triple her her income just to make it fair uh and that it needs to be still fair in context also to to the employer so um what i always do i mean it's also the role of a recruiter to to make sure that the candidates they place are placed in a in a safe and fair environment uh where they can thrive so i always um Help uh, the negotiations. Sometimes I stay completely out of it if this is what both parties want. But if they want me involved, uh, I will try to to lead um, these negotiations and to well not lead but to to manage them in in such a way that both parties can be can be satisfied and can be happy with uh, with the outcome.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Med, I see you getting ready to ask a question because I have another question. No, but go ahead.
2: actually. Yeah, not a question, but just to to answer actually that the same question from you. Um, I think what makes it sometimes difficult is um, the salary is not a fixed point, right? Sometimes it's a range, and if you want to discriminate against someone, you just keep them in the lowest lower part of that range. So they are in the same pay category, but then they're getting the smaller <laughs> of that uh, mm-hmm. of that amount, if that makes sense. So I mean, I could see where it it becomes difficult to even yeah, defend it if to prove if there are it. Yeah, because they'd for, say, "Oh, we're all in the it. same
0: range." Uh, yeah.
2: yeah, it's in the range, but maybe it could be like one, yeah, one gender, or, or it could. I mean, I'm not going to say that every time it's uh, always uh, uh you know, men and women could be other aspects as well. But you could, you could see where this could be manipulated a bit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, I understand what you. Mean. Yeah, I mean, you're alluding to, you know, it could be like other types of minorities as well. Uh, okay, but. Um, I want to connect this to the the pay gap that you see. Do you think this is one of the reasons why fewer um, women uh, choose to enter STEM in education? Because they feel like, okay, I'm going to go through this hard, tough track. But when I look ahead of me, you know, for all the work I put in, I don't get back the the fair compensation that, you know, if like, just for the biological reason that I am a woman, you know, I get I could get paid 10% less you think this is uh, or why do you think in general that there are so few women in, in, in STEM
1: mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's I'm, I'm I don't think it's like a, a defining factor but it is certainly a factor that might play a role uh, in, in all of this but um, I would love to to really reframe all of this uh, as well as, an, as a possible enrichment of technology companies what do I mean by that so I strongly believe that uh, gender-diverse teams will become more and more important. Um, they are more fun. They are more performant. There are several studies on this. They are more creative and, in the end, more lucrative for, for the businesses. Um, it will benefit everyone. And, you know, it, it's basically a no-brainer. Education is an important key to getting more women in tech because uh, that is where the gap starts, right? Um, but I mean, what companies could do, you know, if, um, for instance, if you are an executive or a manager, um, or even an employee working for a company, uh, with such a big gap gender, um, or maybe a company that is not so inclusive, um, you have to realize that you have a huge opportunity cost here, right? So, um you are missing out on all the positive opportunities of having inclusive teams uh, because what happens is, you know, your performance uh, cost uh, is very high, you have lower lower retention, uh, you have a higher churn uh, because the women leave in the end uh, and this will lead to less innovation. Uh, And moreover, uh, you may not notice it from your stats, because as a company, you're always comparing your your stats with the situation before, which was probably an even more uh, massive gender gap. Um, So you have to to take all of this into consideration, um, that maybe... The analysis that you have is not always objective. You have to see the benefits of of attracting, uh, you know, gender diverse uh, teams or attracting women in this case, and uh, you have to to make a clear strategy that is also enforceable, because I see a lot of policies and I mean, you know, I I don't want to I don't want to judge any company, but some of them are just like blah blah. They're they're not enforceable. Mm-hmm. They're,
2: they're just, just paying they're, lip
0: service. Exactly, it's just like a yeah. paragraph on the website. Oh, we do this and this and like, okay. And what's it beyond like a text on your website? Oh, nothing. You mean that that type of thing?
1: Exactly, yeah, they're meaningless. You know, they, they are, if, if they're not enforceable, if the, you know, the people who are discriminating or or the situations maybe who are discriminating are Look, not being addressed. I'm dressed. gonna give you an
0: example of this. Back, yeah. you know, many, many years ago when I was a student, I was working at this uh, huge corporation. It's it's one of the top corporations in the world. I, if I if I tell the name, you're gonna know it, but I'm not gonna do it. Um, they create sports apparel. They're in Belgium, and uh, I used to work on their factory floor. But then later on, like you know, I got a job in the uh, outbound uh, shipping department. So as you drive into the into the factory, like into the huge warehouse that they have there, they had banners everywhere saying, "You know, we're a green company. Nature number one. Recycled. This and that." So. But the the office where I was, it was very close to the, the copying machine. And sitting there, one day I realized a lot of paper was being wasted on copying. So I did some back of the envelope calculations also on the toner, you know. Yeah, yeah. I had to keep myself busy. Turned out like this one printer was wasting X ton of paper per per whatever time frame. And you know, I escalated this to, to my mind. It's like, yo, you know, you got a company that says, you know, we're green and nature this and number one and recycle. So we can't have this. Like there's some little things we can do to save all of this paper. And their response was literally shut up. You're not welcome <laughs> here anymore. <laughs> they, you know, I, I wasn't I think this is what you mean with the company, you know, hanging mm-hmm. all the banners, but when push comes to shove, when you say, hey, look, there's something we can improve, they're like, shut up. Do your job. And the reason I'm bringing this up is it sounds like a funny story, but it really upset me. I was like, this is incredible. Those banners, they're all lies. And it made me very skeptical to corporate uh, advertising. Um, But not to hijack, you know, the the point that you're making is, you know, some companies might pay lip service, but they're not uh, uh, pursuing strategies i think you you give it a special name it's like uh feasible strategies or something like that you call it you know, so they're not Inforcible. really doing what what In- enforceable strategies enforceable so. strategies so yeah. i have a question for you mm-hmm. what are enforceable strategies could you give you some examples and how do you know whether a company is only paying lip service or whether they're really doing something is there a way to discern like short of looking at numbers Okay, because you could just say, oh, here's the engineering department is 99.9% men. That's already like, you know, might mean something, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so first of all, again, to contextualize, um, there is the corporate culture um, and you know, the mission, the vision, etc., then there is the way this corporate culture is lived and lived by and implemented. So what I'm talking about is, you know, you have the strategic plan. Like in every level of the company, you should be able to see and to feel almost these, these values. So um, this is also something that uh, you know candidates, when they change jobs, they can they can easily find out if the if the company is for real, if they if they walk their talk, so to say, by you know talking to peers, colleagues, and and seeing what uh, is being done exactly. Now you asked me about these strategies. I mean, oh, sorry, my mic is uh, tapping on something here. So there are these strategies, um, and you know. You can you can have you can have quota. Uh, I'm personally not always in favor of them, but I do understand why they exist. And uh, if this is a necessity, if you do an analysis of your company, and if this is the only you know possibility, or if this is a, a real necessity, you need to implement them. So this is a possibility. Um, but also, you know, it's it's about everything. It starts with the onboarding process. Um, you need to set up mentoring schemes. You need to. To set up team building uh, activities, um, you know, if you have this uh, corporate culture of knowledge sharing that is very inclusive, it needs to transpire uh, from the onboarding on. So, this is this is one um, thing. Another strategy would be make your uh, recruitment process more inclusive. Um, so, I know. Uh, <laughs> This happens in the market uh, that you know clients say, "Oh, I don't want people from there and there, or I don't want these or these types of people," and then they say because they're not a fit in the company. You know, this is this is thrown around so easily, but what they mean is they are basically discriminating against uh, a certain population, um, and they are trying to to rephrase it or to reframe it in a in a nice way. So I think it starts with the mindset of of the candidates too, uh, of the clients too, sorry, of, of the companies. And it's also a cultural thing, um, especially in Belgium. I'm going to give you an example because this is getting a bit too abstract. But um, in Belgium, you know, if, if I want to, to if, if a client comes to me and they say, okay, I, I need a, a senior um, network architect, you know, to, to give you an example, um, they will say, this person needs to speak French, Dutch, and English, you know, and they also need to have this and this and this and this, you know, they have this, um, this image. want, this image. Oh. Yeah. No, yeah. This, this image of, of, of what would be the ideal candidate and what be, would be the ideal fit. But this image is based on a culture where you want, um, that new candidate to be just the same as all the other candidates that you have. You want that candidate to, um, to be the the mirror of what your clients expect, which is also a mirror of what they are. And this is why um, there is this huge problem with inclusivity in the recruitment process. It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural bias. It's not only in Belgium, it's in all countries. Um, We all tend to, to want to be surrounded by people who are like us in some way. So if your company... Um, you know, is uh, constituted of white uh, males between the age of 30 and 40. This is what you are going to want. This is what your clients are going to want because their companies are also white males between the ages of, of 30 and 40. And just giving an example here, just to illustrate, it, it is it is really about changing a mindset, and it all starts with education. So, but I'm I'm digressing a bit. Um, so. Mm. A strategy was to make the recruitment process uh, more uh, inclusive, offer flexible working uh, because women have, if they want, they can take these maternity leaves. This is also a problem sometimes for certain employers to offer this flexibility, improve transparency around pay. This is also one you had mentioned before. But you know, be be open. Create a culture that diver- that embraces diversity, and I can go on and on. There are a ton of strategies, but also. But I have that... a
0: question for you, Maura, yeah. More of mm-hmm. like a practical one. Mm-hmm. So, you identified uh, a problem like uh, there is few women, fewer women entering STEM than there are men, you know, percentually, mm-hmm. and um, if we focus on that, how are how is it even possible for companies to attract more women if if they're not in the pool to draw from the I'm setting aside the question of how you retain them, because the 45% drop-off is already like, that's another problem in and all of itself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is it even possible for companies to, you can't even go 50-50, right? You, you, like, even if you say, we're going to do a quota, 50-50. 50% men, 50% women, um, or you know whatever it's not, the, the numbers aren't there, right? True.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is why I emphasize education so much, because one thing we can all do as a society, so not only companies, is to really encourage young girls in, you know, our own environment to study STEM. What is STEM? It's science, uh, engineering, mathematics, computer science. You know, next time you talk to your daughter, your niece, your sister, um, you know, ask what they want to do uh, when they grow up and and ask them if they have considered studying sciences technology, inform them about it, uh, make it fun for them, make it accessible. because, you know, we have to encourage these young women to study science and technology since, you know, these are the drivers for for R&D, innovation, uh, for for wealth creation uh, in this society. It will offer them massive opportunities uh, for enriching their careers. And, you know, if you're smart and strategic, um, you know, you want to be in in this uh, future-oriented business where you have great leverage and you have a positive impact. And they need to understand this. So, just to, to conclude my point, you know, science and tech, they are just perfect as foundations um, for for the society of tomorrow. And we need more girls to enter the game. So we need to, to make that clear to them. We need societal policies around it. You know, teams, companies and society as a whole should work together because they are all going to benefit from having more uh, individual women, not only enrolled in STEM, but also leading the way in the future um, for, for, for a more innovative future.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you said, um, you know, one of the strategies that companies could enforce is uh, quotas, although you did say, you know, I'm not a big fan of that um because i think uh I, I understand why why you add that little footnote there because the moment you start off with quotas you get a lot of people saying yeah but you know you want the best candidate exactly. What if the best candidate gets cast aside for is that why you're you know you put the footnote the quotas
1: yes mainly because i I personally really believe that it doesn't matter uh, if the best candidate is a woman, a man, of uh, whatever the color I mean the i I really think, especially for companies that all of this shouldn't matter. Um, now again, we have contextualized, so there is a reason why this all matters. Um, however, you know this quota sometimes can lead it's not all the time like this, but it can lead to maybe having. Not the best person doing the job, but just, you know, somebody who is there to fill a quota. And this is also not going to be beneficial, nor for the company, nor for the person, because there's going to be this friction there.
0: But to me, like the situation you're describing now, I Mm -hmm. think you'll agree with what I'm going to say now. The situation you're describing to me now is a company that's also just paying lip service, but they go beyond paying lip service. They just go through the motions like... Ah, oh, we follow the instructions, you know. Oh, it doesn't work. So it seems like, like you say, what you what you're looking for is a the switch in the mindset. Whereas mm-hmm. these people, you know, that, that just blindly fill quotas, they didn't really get it. They're like, oh, we'll check off all the boxes and we'll will be, you know, we'll be an okay company. Um uh, so blindly filling quotas is not the thing, right? You you wanna but, make sure that mm-hmm. from the from the ground up. But uh, like I said, like the, the practical problem is, of course, like the the inflow from uh, STEM related or, or STEM uh, education is low, so that needs to be the to be higher. And I think, wh- what do you think? Like, what's your gut feeling on moving forward? Because after all, um, uh, you're a woman. Uh, you you've been in in this industry as a woman. You actually started uh, several companies. Um, of which you could even say staff is, is a operates within the tech industry um might be you know as as a service of, of pri- providing uh, uh uh people to staff but you know you're in this industry so what's your feeling on the current direction of things do you feel like we're setting uh, steps in a good direction or there's still a lot of work to do where are where will my daughter like what kind of world is my daughter going to enter in in what like 15 years from now when she enters the 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 market for for work i know i know you don't have like a a looking like uh you don't have a machine but Mm -hmm. i promise you nobody's gonna come back 15 years from hey maura you are wrong and no
1: no no um okay I, I understand your question just wanted to make one last quick point about the quota um because I think we also have to look um, at them from a meta perspective um, and it's they are there for a reason but we have to look at at the the policies the policy makers have to to make smart quota if they make quota and uh, and I I am not against quota um I just sometimes question um the way they work right now in society so yeah, this no, is no, just i wanted to make no no, no i understand you. you're not against okay. quota
0: you're just about you know could be wrong but mm-hmm. uh i feel like you're against people uh using quota without understanding what they're doing and then exactly. they'll be disappointed with it and everybody will be disappointed Correct. with it like use quotas but if you do it be smart about it
1: Exactly. Okay. Now to your, to your question, uh, around the future, of course, we, we, we cannot see in the future, but we do see a lot of trends, uh, especially, um, you know, I, I also did a couple of rooms around the future of work. Um, we, we see an evolution to distri- towards distributed, uh, working, asynchronous working. Um, I think the workplace as we have known it pre-pandemic, um, well, it's, it's already, it has already ceased to exist. And I don't believe we are going to go back to the situation as it was before. So we have to look at the trends. Uh, and technology is certainly a huge, a major factor in all of this, not only in, in the workplaces of the future, but also in our societies uh, of the future. So Technology will, will enable you know all of these this flexibility um, that that the society today and tomorrow will need to to stay resilient because I mean now we have this crisis but uh, you know uh, Nassim Taleb's Black Swans Black Swans pop up <laughs> all the time and you don't know when and you don't know where so um, we need this resiliency and yes, technology is a, is a part of it. Uh, and that's actually all I want to say because I don't want to make uh, predictions or, or things like that. This, is, uh, this doesn't really lay in my character. So I'm going to refrain from doing that.
0: Okay, can I then just ask it maybe, you know, I'm trying to cheat here, but uh, are you optimistic <laughs> or pessimistic?
1: I am very, very optimistic, always. Um, I mean, you know, actually... I think we will all get more entrepreneurial in a way because we will step away from these these really this employee mindset that some of us maybe had. um, And everybody right now is 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 like struggling. They need to pivot, you know, this this resiliency. It can be seen as something that is really negative, it stretches society, but on the other hand, I see it as growth. and I think you you need a few attributes um, that that you could connect maybe to entrepreneurship in 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 life, especially in the future, uh, that will really enable you to thrive as a person, but also as a company or or as as a society as a whole. So I would I would gladly tell you more about that. I was <laughs> exactly. already thinking
0: like this is uh, more like a philosophical. Uh, exactly. futurology episode and it's typically <laughs> something that med and i really uh, like to talk about so who knows like uh maybe in the next season will will we'll have you uh over for for that specific awesome. topic because i do agree uh with what you say well i i hope you are right although you know you're not predicting okay and i'm not nope. following <laughs> but here is the thing i really hope that the the pre pandemic uh workspace is over and we do leverage technology to give more flexibility to people we'll see like you say what this means for people you know becoming more entrepreneurial if they wish to be so the the hurdles are being lowered everything is being more democratized you know even when you look at us in this podcast you know uh, uh, technology again bringing down the hurdles for us reaching people like the, the the idea of producing media to distribute to potentially thousands and millions of listeners used to be very exclusive Right now, we're just you know literally three people with a microphone um, broadcasting to the world. So why not also have entrepreneurship uh, made easier? Um, so I, I think th- that's much less predicting than, like you say, you know, seeing the trends that are there. Um, look, uh, we're already over our forty-five minutes, uh, but. I want to ask you one more question, if you have time, Maura. Sure. Um, So one thing I I see about uh, you and and the way you work is that, and you also said it, you said you're you're a connector and a networker. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) I think being a networker is important and a connector as well, because I think the connector basically brings two nodes in their network together to create magic, right? You get one plus one, and the sum is greater than two. That's what the connector does, right? And a networker goes out and seeks nodes and knows who's there. This is typically, I think, a skill that is lacking in IT among engineers. Engineers tend not to be networkers. They tend to be, you know, bubble people. Uh, There are definitely exceptions to these. So, for our listeners out there would you mind explaining to me why you emphasize so much or place so much importance on being a connector and a networker Mm
1: -hmm. absolutely so first of all i want to say i like people who who walk their talk so i i say i am a networker but i'm also an active member of 18 different networking organizations just to give you an idea i'm very serious about this Um, So serious in fact that I've always built all my business uh, and my whole life actually around it, because I think this is the basis. Um, We all as humans have this natural tendency to connect and to seek connection. Uh, Also this tendency to refer um, people we trust to other people um, and also to seek connections for, for ourselves, deep connections um, and for others. So um, Mm. I would say, the the context you live in is very crucial for you as a human being but also as a professional if your environment is thriving if 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 other companies are doing well and you're an entrepreneur you will do well you will you know you will be sucked into this positive spiral so you know coming from these premises it's it's actually logical that you would seek meaningful connections and you will try to reach out to people in a, in a positive, meaningful way and try to help them the best you can uh, because you know this will come back in some way. Not that you have to expect it, but it's just, it's like a, an unwritten law uh, that it, it comes back to you. So I would say networking, uh, it can be done in a, in a wrong way. Um, sometimes I see... Uh, especially in Belgium, when I used to live in Belgium, there were these receptions. It used to be very dry, you know, with people being really shy in a corner of the room with their glass of wine and just looking around, scared and not daring to talk to people. Um, so that is uh, that is a bit counterproductive networking, I would say. Um, I think you, you need to be curious uh, to start with. So uh, you need to, to have this open mindset and to, to really be open in, you know, when you meet some, someone just don't assess, is this person relevant or not? And, and, you know, based on, on two words, they say you've already decided, okay, this is nothing. I'm just going to sit here bored and not listen to them. Like, um, this, this does your, this does a disservice to yourself. So, um, Be open, be curious. Um, Maybe they are not relevant for your business, but they share a passion with you or they know people who might be very interesting to you or um, you you might have the same philosophical views. I mean, you never know like where this connection lies, but if you're not curious and open, you you will never find it. Um, Then also if you, you know, when you meet someone... Try to think along with them. Try to be empathic. Like, what does this person actually need or what are they looking for? This is what I do, like, without even noticing it anymore. I'm like, oh, okay, you should talk to that person because maybe then they can they can spar with you or they can connect you with that person. So be making these connections uh, for yourself in your brain all the time. This maps out your network as well for you. Um, mm-hmm. From from a from a neurological. I suppose, like if you do
0: it long enough, it sort of starts altering your brain, probably as well. Connect, you know, creating these pathways that are, you know, very geared towards getting two people, like oh, but Mm -hmm. you know, we could bring them together. But to me, again, when you're explaining this, more than a practical tip, I see again your focus on, you know, what you need is a is a shift in mindset. If you want to do meaningful, it's not about, uh, you know. Which tools I use, it's about when you meet these people, you know, don't mm-hmm. categorize them as beneficial for, you know, I can generate revenue here. No, there's there like a person there. What's their story? What are they about? And maybe down the road, you can help them. It's not about them helping you. It's about you saying, you know, maybe down the road, I can connect them to somebody. And what goes around comes around. Like you say, you know, it's, uh, it's all sort of interconnected. But still <laughs> you know I still have to ask so you say you're part of 18 network organizations so what what does that mean because um, you know that's new to me like w- what's the benefit of being in an organization uh, we what do you guys come together and, and go like, oh yeah like, let's all connect or
1: mm-hmm. well organization or platform I want to say so I count okay. clubhouse in there as well, but a lot of mm-hmm. them are organizations um, yeah I, I guess linkedin is even one but i didn't count it on there um you know it's every every context that enables you to network uh, and i have 18 so this is what i what i meant now um what does that mean it it means that you you enter a forum in which you know okay this forum is for networking this forum is for connecting and i could share a lot of practical strategies but if you do not approach this uh, with the right mindset you will you will not network you will do other things you will maybe sell or you will know people but this is not the essence of networking so this is why i started with um you know the approach one should have to to networking um and practically it means that i attend daily uh one two three or more events um i also organize and host them daily um and it's a it's a lifestyle. You are a networker, or you are not a networker. And you know what they say, right? Uh, your your network is your net worth. And I strongly oh, I, I thought see it was that
0: networking <laughs> or not working. But okay, your network is your net worth. Okay, I think yeah. that's more correct, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. If you see, you know, something I I tell people who are um, starting off like companies these days, like little entrepreneurs, I tell them. Uh, you know you're so focused on on your website whereas in your beginning phase you're going to be so much more reliant on word of mouth people are going to refer to you that's you know you're not going to be the first hit on google for x amount of time you know people are going to refer to you so it'll be the people around you, your network that uh, delivers you work It might be like that I could be wrong I'm, I'm not a serial entrepreneur like you but uh, maybe you'd agree with me maybe you won't um, no,
1: I, I do agree. I mean there are several strategies you, you you can I mean networking is very broad, you know, it's it's not written in stone how you should do it, but it's it's also about um, you know, people getting to know you and if you are aligned with your business, uh people will always gravitate towards that because they see the authenticity, there is a, a level of trust there, and this is this is just uh priceless if you you know, if you have people you can trust in your network, you know, somebody asked me once on a podcast about competitors, like, why should you connect with your competitors? I'm all for that because you can, you know, if I, if I have too much clients or it's, or I have a client that is slightly outside my market, I will happily refer them to a competitor that I know and that I trust. And, you know, they do that as well. And it's, um, it's only enriching to be honest. So yeah, I hope that again. That's your <laughs> I
0: think a mindset that uh, yeah. some people maybe need to make that shift. Hey, um, Maura, we have this new format uh, that Matt came up with, and which I love, which is at the end of the show, we ask uh, our the guest to give us a elevator pitch of you know like a, a summary of of the episode. Would you mind doing one for us? Sure.
1: Okay, so, uh, yes, today I had the pleasure to talk uh, about women empower- empowerment in STEM. Uh, we talked about how um, women are so important. It all started with a women computer programmer. Um, we looked at the evolution and what is happening right now in the markets. Uh, we looked at some statistics um, and the, the fact is that there are there's a huge gap um, and there's a, a huge gender inequality uh, within the STEM industries, especially in IT. Um, but we also reframed it positively uh, that, you know, crossing this, bridging this gap would be a, a huge enrichment for technology companies and companies within STEM. There are things society can do. There are things companies can do. But in the end, it all comes down to education and empowering young women to uh, to go and study uh, STEM and uh, and to, to give them the tools once they are on the working market to to be able to to help us shape the future and drive innovation. We also talked about the importance of networking and about uh, meaningful connections in life. I hope this is a a good summary. <laughs>
0: I think that's a pretty good summary. Matt, do you have uh, any uh, remarks before we close off the show?
2: Uh, no, actually, I just want to thank uh, you know uh, our guest for this, uh, this session. Uh, I'm just observing all the all that has been discussed. So uh, thank you.
0: Yes. So for our listeners at home that want to get in touch with you, Maura, what would be the best way?
1: Well, you already know I'm an open networker. So, um, uh, you, you are free to, to send me an email. It's just on the, on the website of my company, staff-europe.com. Uh, and my preferred way of connecting is of course, LinkedIn, where I am super active. Um, so yeah, find me on LinkedIn, send me an email and uh,
0: I will be happy to We'll Also definitely tag you you on LinkedIn as well. So people can uh, reach Mm -hmm. out to you from there. Um, Awesome. master med what about you where can people find you
2: madmed.com
0: that's m-a-d-m-e-d.com. my name is errol Baikal. you can find me on bikal.be dot lbe for our listeners at home you know whether you're driving in your car you're lying in bed sleeping on the couch whatever it doesn't matter you're always welcome we hope to catch you in the next episode thanks again mora To be here. Matt, thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for having me.